the Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wasteland. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. Happy, even thrilled to be with you this evening as we come together once more to look at what is called sacred history. Now, God is involved in all of history. God has always been involved with every race and every tribe and every tongue, the Chinese and everybody else calling them to himself. In this particular bite of history, with this particular people group, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, these people we call Israel, the name that was given to Jacob after his conversion, this is called sacred history because this is one bite of history that we know God is directly involved in, and we have the clear interpretation of it. God has caused there to be a record of this history, and we can see his hand, we can hear his voice, we can watch as he deals with individuals. Where the routine challenges of life, starvation and drought, we have a drought in South Texas right now, and the economy in shambles, our economy is in shambles right now. Family relationships, talk about blended families today. We don't have blended families anything like some of the complications of David and Solomon's times. There's so much we can learn as we watch God dealing with these individuals. We hear God's voice, and we see his working and his actions, and we can deduce from what we see him doing here to our lives because God is revealing himself and his ways to us. We're going to pick up in Second Samuel. Tonight we'll start at chapter 12, but right now it's time for our Wisdom and Worship segment. These Psalms 61, 62, and 63 were probably written when David was seeking refuge during Absalom's rebellion. He's a grown man, and he's calling out for God's presence, God's provision. Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. 
Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honor you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest of foods. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I think how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. I follow close behind you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silent. End of reading, Psalm 63. If hope is born of suffering, Is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. This is what it means to be held. Our hero of the hour, the one whose life we are following as we read through the book of 2 Samuel now, is the shepherd king of Israel, the teenage believer who fought the great giant Goliath and who fled from Saul. He never took advantage of the opportunity to kill Saul with courage, with faith. After 20 years of waiting, at age 37, he is finally anointed and crowned king of all of Israel. David handles himself just perfectly. A great king, a great person. And then in chapter 11, in our last reading, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David stayed home this time and he got in trouble with adultery with Uriah, the Hittite's wife. Then he had Uriah killed. We read that shameful, that terrible episode in his life. Now we come to Second Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to see how God deals with him here on The Bible Life. Second Samuel 12, 1 through 15, 6. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but a little lamb he had worked hard to buy. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing a lamb from his own flocks for food, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and served it to his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. 
Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. From this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family, because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Because of what you have done, I, the Lord, will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will do this to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. But you have given the enemies of the Lord great opportunity to despise and blaspheme him, so your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord made Bathsheba's baby deathly ill. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The leaders of the nation pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day the baby died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He was so broken up about the baby being sick, they said. What will he do to himself when we tell him the child is dead? But when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the baby dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the baby was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the baby is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that his name should be Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord, because the Lord loved him. Meanwhile, Joab and the Israelite army were successfully ending their siege of Rabbah, the capital of Ammon. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and finish the job, so you will get credit for the victory instead of me. So David led the rest of his army to Rabbah and captured it. David removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on David's own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and it weighed about seventy-five pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, picks, and axes and to work in the brick kilns. That is how he dealt with the people of the Ammonite cities. Then David and his army returned to Jerusalem. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 13 David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible that he could ever fulfill his love for her. Now Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother Shemaiah. One day Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, Absalom's sister. 
Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she feeds you. So Amnon pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let Tamar come to take care of me and cook something for me to eat. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the room where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked some special bread for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took it to him, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. You know what a serious crime it is to do such a thing in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. To reject me now is a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, Throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, don't be so upset. Since he's your brother anyway, don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about it, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shearers are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed him, but the king wouldn't come, though he sent his thanks. Well then, Absalom said, If you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon instead? Why Amnon? the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend including Amnon. Absalom told his men, Wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. As they were on the way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all your sons. Not one is left alive. The king jumped up tore his robe, and fell prostrate on the ground. His advisers also tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. But just then Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shemaiah, arrived and said, No, not all your sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped.
Then the watchman on the Jerusalem wall saw a great crowd coming toward the city from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from the Horonayim road along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. Your sons are coming just as I did. They soon arrived, weeping and sobbing, and the king and his officials wept bitterly with them, and David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years. And David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 14 Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom, so he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, Pretend you are in mourning. Wear mourning clothes and don't bathe or wear any perfume. Act like a woman who has been in deep sorrow for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I am about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. When the woman approached the king, she fell with her face down to the floor in front of him and cried out, O king, help me! What's the trouble? the king asked. I am a widow, she replied. My two sons had a fight out in the field, and since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, Let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. But if I do that, I will have no one left and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home, and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, she replied, and I'll take responsibility if you are criticized for helping me like this. Don't worry about that, the king said. If anyone objects, bring them to me. I can assure you they will never complain again. Then she said, Please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, he replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Please let me ask one more thing of you, she said. Go ahead, he urged. Speak. She replied, why don't you do as much for all the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. That is why God tries to bring us back when we have been separated from Him. He does not sweep away the lives of those He cares about, and neither should you. But I have come to plead with you for my son because my life and my son's life have been threatened. I said to myself, perhaps the king will listen to me and rescue us from those who would cut us off from God's people. Yes, the king will give us peace of mind again. I know that you are like an angel of God and can discern good from evil. May the Lord your God be with you. I want to know one thing, the king replied. Yes, my lord, she asked. Did Joab send you here? And the woman replied, My lord the king, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God, and you understand everything that happens among us. So the king sent for Joab and told him, All right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell to the ground before the king and blessed him and said, At last I know that I have gained your approval, for you have granted me this request. 
Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now no one in Israel was as handsome as Absalom. From head to foot he was the perfect specimen of a man. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was too heavy to carry around. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years without getting to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, Go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom and demanded, Why did your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him execute me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned his estranged son, and Absalom came and bowed low before the king. And David kissed him. Second Samuel 15 After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired fifty footmen to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, You've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge, then people could bring their problems to me, and I would give them justice. And when people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and embraced them. So in this way, Absalom stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. End of reading, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 15, 6. Whatever it takes, that's what I'll do. I'd give anything. Get back to you. You're listening to God's Talk Show, The Bible Live. Well, here we are in the uh, most painful difficult time of life for King David. As I mentioned, we must no longer think of him as the wide-eyed, innocent, naive teenage boy. And I don't know that he was wide-eyed and innocent or naive. He seemed to be very mature for his age and, and made some really amazing decisions for a young person. And teenagers are capable of a whole lot more than we currently give them credit for. But now David is well on into his life. He has fought many battles, many different experiences, God has brought peace and prosperity to the nation through him as their leader. He has united the kingdom, the tribes, and there is a time of stability. Israel reaches the apex of its national experience. These are called the golden years of the Israeli nation, the time of David and Solomon. Well, right in the middle of that, of course, we see this experience of adultery. There's no way to color over it. He took the wife of another man. Not just any other man. This was a man who battled for him and with him. Uriah the Hittite appears in the list of the 30 mighty warriors that served David. 
very committed man. And he was a Hittite, not Jewish, but he had obviously, and you read this in the context, he had obviously begun to worship the true and living God, probably very positively influenced by his king, whom he obviously admired and respected. So David does something here so egregious, so terrible that it's almost impossible to believe that it's David doing it. But it's done. Then this courageous prophet, Nathan, back in chapter 7, Nathan is the one that has been ministering to David. And that's one reason I suspect David received the correction from Nathan is because Nathan had proved to David that he loved him. Nathan, as God's man, had earned a right to speak into David's life because of his faithfulness and because of his love. This is not all happening very quickly. Solomon now, Jedidiah as he's called, beloved of God, Solomon is the fourth child of David and Bathsheba. So between the time of the child that died, the first infant, and then Solomon, you must imagine a much more time passing than just a paragraph that we read in the Bible. Several years had passed at least. We can read about that in First Chronicles 3. Solomon was the fourth son of David and Bathsheba. Meanwhile, the rest of his family is falling apart. And part of the consequences of David's action was that revenge, murder, competition, jealousy would run rampant in his family. That happens a lot whenever you get into polygamy and these situations. Anyway, you know, a child has to learn to think beyond themselves. A child, as all human beings, is self-absorbed, totally self-absorbed, and they don't have a way to think beyond just what they want in a given moment. They have to be taught by their parents to acknowledge an authority beyond them that they have to be responsive to, that they have to be accountable to. You can see in David's family life, these children, whatever they wanted, they had to have right now, and they had to have it. Just like Amnon had to have Tamar, his sister, and selfishly took her. And then Absalom, of course, had to avenge and kill Amnon. You see this terrible mess that developed in his life. And the mess extended not only from David, but from the people in his court. Obviously, there was a certain secrecy to this situation. Through Nathan, God said, you did it in secret, but I'm going to punish you publicly. So there was some secrecy, but the other people did know, and it compromised their lives as well, like Joab and the woman of Tekoa. Why wasn't David executed? These are capital offenses, capital crimes, adultery. Now, they were not witnessed, I suppose. Adultery and then, of course, the murder of of Uriah the Hittite. Both of these are capital offenses, and... God's wisdom was here. Maybe many millions more would have suffered if he had been, or maybe his contrition and genuine repentance. But David does indeed suffer the consequences of this act, and we'll read about it the Bible Live next time. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget... Join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible.
Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 